Well, if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're, starting, we're starting a brand new journey or a brand new series, which is a brand new journey this morning. I've entitled this series Authentic. And so we're going to walk through the, the preamble uh, to, to, the, to the, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon that, that Jesus Christ ever preached. Fact is, it's, it's the longest sermon that we have from beginning to end that Jesus Christ ever, ever preached. And so there, there's some reasons for that, and we'll talk about those reasons later. But this morning, I, I want to talk to you as we start this journey together about this issue of authentic. Uh, we, 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 when the, we live in like this social media age, and so people are talking, and Facebook has been around long enough to ne- what now they're doing like, like psychological studies of Facebook and social media and some of the things that people are having more and more trouble with face-to-face conversations. They connect better over Facebook than they do uh, face-to-face, and that you can be in a room full of people and, and you're scrolling Facebook, checking the statuses, and, and, then, and you got a, you got like a room, room full of people around you. Then they're starting to, to do studies in which say some things like that you can you can in some people see a, a higher rate of depression depending on how many hours they spend on social media because a lot of times what we're doing we're comparing our our behind the scenes our authentic stuff our real stuff to somebody else's highlight reel and we can wonder why we, we don't have a life like that and why don't we celebrate life like that and why, why can't we have that type of marriage? Why can't we have that type of vacation or why can't we eat stuff like that? Because it seems like people take pictures of stuff they eat a lot on social media. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I mean, just eat the food. Just eat the food. And we'll just, it, we'll just call it good. And so, you can, listen, you can be in a room full of people and not really connect because of this issue of, 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 of social media and some of these other things. And so Jesus begins helping them understand about an authentic life. That sometimes it's difficult for us to get real with ourselves and get real with God. And so this, the title of this message is just, you know what, we, we just need to get real. And so Jesus begins talking about this issue of happiness. Now listen, we don't talk a lot about happiness in the local church, right? I mean, sometimes it's kind of strange to me that we don't talk about the subject of what it means to be happy. There's a lot of Christians that get nervous about that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of Christians, they don't mind saying, you know what, I I got the joy. I got the joy of the Lord in my spirit. What does that mean? Because you look miserable. I mean, you don't, you don't look happy. You just don't look happy. You may have the joy down deep in your heart, but you need to let it go. I mean, I mean, you need to like tell your face that you're really happy. And so what is it about this issue of happiness? I mean, what, what is happiness? I, I kept a Time Magazine article, and it's years back, and, and I should have looked at the date, but I didn't. But I, I think it's well over 10 years old. And so Time Magazine, years back, and, and maybe you'll remember this, this magazine by, by the cover, uh, it, was the, it was a featured article, it was called The Science of Happiness. And so the cover article, the cover of Time Magazine, was like this big yellow smiley face. That's what we called it then. We didn't call it an emoji. We didn't even know what emojis were. And so it was just, it was an emoji. Way back then, it was a smiley face. And so they did this thing of the science of happiness. And so it took them over a year. They did a lot of research from a lot of different areas. And, and here's, here's, here's what they found. Their research told them that there's nothing in this world that will give you lasting happiness. Nothing in this world is going to give you constant happiness. Is that news to any of you guys? No, we could have saved them a lot of money, right? We could have saved them a lot of money. Hey, Matthew chapter 5, 
hey, how about this? How about Jesus talked about this for thousands of years before this? And so, but Time Magazine said, you know, the problem is that there's no such thing as constant happiness. And listen, they looked at a lot of different areas. They looked at, well, they looked at a lot of different areas. They says, how about marriage? Will, will, will marriage give you lasting happiness? <laughs> See, that's when you guys get nervous, right? Just look straight, just look straight ahead. Do not flinch. Do not say a word. Listen, the title of this message is Get Real, okay? <laughs> Will marriage give you lasting happiness? You guys are scared. <laughs> it's, always, it's always funny to me. I, 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 I don't have the opportunity to do a lot of weddings like I once did because of four services on the weekend and my schedule. But one of the weddings that, that, that I just remember is it's so much fun sometimes to, to do those weddings with like that, that young couple. And they have this idea of what marriage is going to be like. And I just cannot wait till we're married and we'll have no more problems. We'll have no more struggles. I mean, I'll get to come home every day to her. And it's going to be like wonderful. And, and man, I just cannot, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. And so I remember I was over in, in this room over here and we're waiting to start a wedding. And I'm with the groom. And the groom, I, I literally thought the groom was going to pass out. And so as pastors, we're trained how to handle stuff like this. And so I looked at him. He lost all of his color. He's not, and it's just, I'm like, breathe, just breathe. In through your nose, out through your mouth. In through your nose, out through your mouth. And so I, I'm doing that whole deal, and I'm just breathe. And I said, are you okay? And he goes, I am so nervous. He said, if I can just get through this ceremony, my life is going to be perfect from here on out because I'm going to be married to her. And I said, Buddy, this is going to be the easiest thing you do in marriage. <laughs> He's like, bam. <laughs> I'm like, that's my mercy gift just oozing out everywhere. And so here's what Time Magazine found. They, looked, they said, you know what? Marriage isn't going to give you constant happiness. It's not going to give you lasting happiness. And so they looked at money. You know, a lot of people talk about money. And they said, you know, there's a lot of people say, if I can just get that raise, if I can get that bonus, if I can make more money, if I can do this, then guess what? I'll finally be happy. I'll have. And you know what they found? They found that's absolutely not true. Fact is, what they found, money can give you the opposite emotion. Money, unrightly handled, can give you an opposite emotion to where it can cause some social anxiety, it can cause some stress, it can really compl complicate your, your life. And so they looked at money, they looked at, they looked at marriage, and they said, well, how about friends? And they well, friends give you constant happiness. And you know what they found? They found that, man, to find a good friend that's faithful over a lifetime is very rare. And that friends can love you one day, and they can talk about you, they can gossip about you, they can betray you the next day. So they, they said, you know what, even in friendships, even in relationships, you can't find... Uh, constant happiness. Well, how about a position? Because you hear a lot of people talk that, you know what, if I could just get that, if I can just get that promotion, if I can just get that place in the company, then I'll finally be at peace. I'll finally relax. I'll slow down and I'll be happy. And they found that's not it e either. And they says, well, how about popularity? And they says, well, you know, the problem with popularity is you can be popular one day and like unpopular the next day. And here, here's what they found, and they said, and it's just so funny that they, they put all this work into it because we, we could have told them. They said that, 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 they, that they know, Time Magazine is what they said, they said constant, ma 
happiness, what we've learned, cannot be tied to your circumstances. Jesus, Jesus started off his ministry t- saying that. And so here's, what, here's, here's probably why I kept the article. Here's what bothered me the most about the article, and I've kept it in a file that says sermon to do file, that one day I'm going to preach on this, one day I'm going to teach on this. Because here's what they found that really bothered me. They says, well, how about in, how about in the spiritual world? How about in the church? Let's go, let's go talk to some church folks, and let's ask some church people and survey them about this constant happiness. And they, didn't, they, they went to church people that were like regular attenders and, and the like, like served and, and all of those other things. And you know what they found with them? They found about the same statistics as in the world. They found they haven't learned the secret of happiness. They has this false belief that happiness is tied to circumstances. Happiness is tied to situations. Happiness is tied to something that can change. Well, Saturday, I, I, I went Googling on the Internet, and so I asked the Google, I said, how many places does happiness shows up? Do you know what? I got over 13 million hits on happiness. It's something people desire, right? I went to Amazon.com and just was curious how many books have been written on the subject of happiness. You know what I found? Well over 3,000 books have been written on this subject. And so I just, I just want to start a journey with you. Over, over, the next, over the next eight weeks, there's eight Beatitudes. We're going to take a Beatitude a, a, a weekend, and we're just, we're just going to unpack it. What the goal is, is what if? What if we understood what it means to live an authentic life, what it means to have authentic happiness, what it, what it means for us to get real with ourselves, because, because sometimes it's, it's, it's the hardest, right? It's the hardest thing to get real with yourself. A lot of times that's why people criticize other people. That's why people complain about other people. That's why people point out everybody else's sin because they don't have to get real with themselves. They can just keep the focus on somebody else. And so sometimes the most difficult thing for us to do is to get real with ourselves and get real with God. So Jesus starts out this sermon, Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read all 12 verses, and then, but we're just going to focus on verse 1 as we look at this issue of just what does it mean as we just start this journey out together, kind of understand the o- overview, what does it mean to get real? So verse 1, chapter 5, here's what the scripture says. And it's talking of Jesus, and he says, See in the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen, if, if we were real this morning, if we, if we just were to get real, we would say, that, that seems weird to me. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're in these situations. I don't think I, I, don't think I would say that. I, I, I just don't think I, I would say that. That just seems counterculture to me. I, 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 that just seems, that seems, it just seems, out. I, I don't understand that. It's because the problem is, if we just got honest this morning, a lot of times we see our happiness is tied to circumstances. Then unless circumstances, situations are going our way, we're just not going to be happy. But maybe we need to understand the word blessed or bless and what does it mean to be blessed. And because, because here's the deal. It, it, as Christians, we know we're supposed to say it, right? Part of Christianese is for us to say, God bless you a lot, right? Uh, where we just say, you know what, God bless you. It was so awesome in the 9 o'clock service. As soon as I said that, someone sneezed, and I got to say, God bless you. It just worked in the sermon. <laughs> and, and so, but we say that a lot, right? Uh, we, say God, we say, God bless you. Someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. Sometimes we end text messages. Sometimes we end emails. Sometimes we end emails with, may God bless you and your family, and God bless the United States, and all those things, and it becomes popular. Have you ever wondered what does it mean? What does it mean to say, God bless you? Do you know the definition of a blessing? Would you know a blessing if it just kind of stood up and like slapped you in the face? Do you know a blessing? Because when I, when I read my Bible, you know what I find? Sometimes scripture says a blessing can be a problem. A blessing can be a difficult circumstance. So when we say, God bless you, do, are we wishing a bunch of problems on somebody? What does it mean about this issue of a blessing? And if you pray, God, God bless them. How do, how do you define it? How would you, how would you even know if God blessed them or he didn't? In the Greek, the word bless is a Greek word, makarios. And makarios is this deep word, listen, that means happy, fulfillment, contentment. It's not tied. It is not tied to circumstances. In other words, the Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes, and he writes these words, and he says, for I have, I have learned what it means to be makarios, content in all situations. I know what it means to be happy or content, whether I'm well-fed or I'm in hunger, whether I'm difficult circumstances or great circumstances, when people are persecuting me or when people are not. And Paul says, I have learned. So that, that should give us some freedom, that this is a learned behavior and, 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 and that we can learn this. In other words, when you say to be blessed or you're asking God to bless someone, you know what you're saying? You're asking God, help them to be happy in the circumstance, in the situation that they're in. To have a blessing is to have happiness that is not dependent upon your circumstances. Can you imagine that? To where you live life on a different level, to where your happiness and your uh, it's not dependent on a circumstance or a situation. In other words, an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ would allow you and I to be happy in any and all situations, not based on our circumstances. And can, can, I, can I just stop and just tell you? I don't know if this is convicting to you. It's convicting to me. 
There are some times in preparing this message that I, I had to get real with me and say there are times that I believe happiness is dependent on a circumstance or a situation or things that I wish were different. In other words, what, what Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about that God desires to bless you. And, and, and for God to bless you, you've you got to put yourself in a position to be blessable. In other words, God's not going to bless all of our actions. God doesn't bless indifference. God doesn't bless sin. God doesn't bless things that are outside of his word. There's things that he blesses. And so the goal is, is for us to put ourselves in a position. And so this morning, I, I just want to carry you through four things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 is all we're going to look at. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus and how he handled people, how he looked at people, how he looked at situations as an intro of where we're headed the next eight weeks. Is, we just, is it where we just learn this and we learn this happiness that's not tied to circumstances, situations, or anything in life. So the first thing is this. When you look at Jesus' life, you realize that Jesus had a vision for people. In other words, Jesus had a vision for people. Je Listen, Jesus cared for people. And guess what? People were important to Jesus. And you know what? If people are important to Jesus, then, then people should be important to us, right? And they, people around us. I mean, a lot of times when we look at Jesus, let, let me ask you, and this is rhetorical, don't answer this out loud. When, when, you, when, you look at, when you look at Jesus, do you look at him as a happy person or a sad person? Because this is, this is one of the problems I have with these pictures of Jesus. I mean, I have a lot of problems with pictures of Jesus on, on, a, on a lot of levels. But a lot of churches that I've gone in that, you know, they got, a, they got some pictures of Jesus, you know, in Sunday school classrooms or whatever. You know what? The, one of the problems I have, Jesus is like never smiling. He looks kind of creepy. I hope I can say that in church. Right? He looks sad. He looks depressed. He looks like, I mean, he doesn't look like he, see, the problem is a lot of times, do we picture Jesus as being happy? See, Jesus was hysterical. I mean, Jesus had a lot of humor. He had a lot of humor in things that he said. He had a lot of humor in things that, that he preached. Uh, but we don't understand like Jewish culture. We don't understand like Jewish uh, uh, humor. Like Jesus preached and, uh, and he uses hyperboles. And so uh, whenever I, just real quickly, when, whenever I use that word hyperbole, I always pause. Because many years ago, many years uh, maybe before a lot of you were in our church, uh, I, was, I was preaching a sermon, and I glanced down at my notes, and I was talking about this. And, and, and you know how hyperbole is spelled. It looks like hyperbole, right? And so I looked down at my notes, and I said, hey, Jesus, Jesus taught in a, in a, in a hyperbole. And uh, people, were, people were awkward. You know, they, they, they didn't really laugh at me because they said, oh, he's from Texas. He probably doesn't know. And I didn't say it just once. I said it several times. I just kept using the word Hyperbole, hyperbole. And you know how in your head it sounds wrong, but you just, you're just going to go with it. And so I went with it. Parents correcting their children, don't talk like him. It's hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. Do not do that. You know, he's from Texas. Don't be a Texan. And, and so, you know, by the time I get out in the foyer, you know, our pastors, who they rate really high on mercy, uh, they're like, hey, Charlie, uh, so is a hyperbole bigger than a Super Bowl? All right, and then, then one guy says, you know what? That's probably where the Cowboys go every year. They don't make the Super Bowl. They make the Hyper Bowl. <laughs> and then now you guys are like getting personal. And so, so, so Jesus, Jesus talked in, a, in exaggeration. And so, you know what? We'll read the text, and, and, and we'll read some of the things that Jesus said. And, and so Jesus, Jesus said that, 
Jesus says, why, why are you always trying to pick out the speck in your spouse's eye, your friend's eye, your relationships around you, when you've got a two-by-four? Now, we don't laugh at that. I'm telling you, the Jewish people that heard this, they're laid out on the floor and said, that's the funniest thing we've ever heard. But they got it. Jesus said, it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they put their trust in their wealth and their arrogance and their, their means. It's like a camel trying to go through an eye of a needle. And they're, they're like laughing. See, Jesus used humor. Jesus was happy. And so, verse 1, it says, seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This word seeing in the, in the, in the Greek doesn't mean just seeing a mass. It means seeing people. It, it, it even is deeper than that, that Jesus was able to perceive. He was able to see underneath the surfaces and see their issues and their hurts and their pains and their wants and their desires. So let me ask you, when, when, you, see a, when, you, when you see crowds around you, when in your home, what do you see? When you look at your spouse, what do you see? At, at your school or your office, what do you see? I mean, are you able to see beneath the surface? Are you to see surface thing? Are you able to see their needs, their hurts, their pains, their issues? Do you, are you able to see some of the things that are driving them? Before ministry, I, I worked in the, the engineering field and had this engineer that was nobody liked. The fact is, everybody hated him. Nobody wanted to go in his office, and, and he was just a real caustic guy, and, and uh, he was angry. He had, a, he had a sign in his office, a big sign over his desk that simply said, I don't get ulcers, I give them. And so he was, like, proud of that. And so, uh, and so, but nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody wanted to be in a meeting where he was just a real angry guy until one night... I'm having a conversation with him, and he went through his life and told me all the hurt and the pain that came out of his childhood. And then the pain in his life as, as an adult, and all of a sudden, it doesn't excuse everything he did, but it sure helped me to understand him. See, Jesus, Jesus had a vision for people. People mattered to him. Man, what... What do you see when you see people? What, what is your vision? If you, if you were to get real, what, what is your vision? Is, is, is it all about your comfort? Is it all about your happiness? Is it all about your needs, your priorities, your life, your, your wants, your desires? Are, are you able to see outside of yourself? What about when you come to church? Do you even see the needs the hurts, the pains here? Do you even believe that God has placed you within this body for a reason to help meet those needs? See, many times we miss seeing what Jesus sees because of our vision. We've got a vision problem. If we're honest, we're only, we're only focused on ourselves. We're only focused on, on our life, our stuff, our priorities, our hopes, our desires, our dreams. We're only, we really only have a vision for ourselves. And, and can I tell you this? When, when we have that vision, whether we know it or not, we begin to lose heart. We begin to lose momentum in life. That's why, that's why our vision is, is just so important to what, what we want to see here at Fellowship the Rockies. Here's our vision. To see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, 
in serving in the way that God has designed them. That, that's, that's, that's the community we would like. That's what, we, that's what we would like to see. What would happen if, if we all took that and said, you know, whether I'm in church, whether I'm in school, whether I'm in the home, whether I'm in the community, my desire, I, I want to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, and to the place to where they're empowered and serving in the way that God has, de- the way that God has designed them. Now listen, when we, when we read the Beatitudes, and there, there's eight of them, Sometimes what's difficult for us, we begin saying, well, that was categories of people. Jesus was putting people in categories. That's absolutely not what Jesus was saying. Jesus in these Beatitudes wasn't saying this was just some static list to once you're in that list or once you're in that group or once you've arrived, you stay in that group for life. Jesus was not saying that. Jesus was trying to help the followers to understand that, guess what? There are times that you're going to be brokenhearted, but you can be happy. Because your happiness does not depend on your circumstance. It depends on me. There's going to be, there's going to be times when you're, going to be, when you're going to be spiritually dry. I mean, one of our elders in an elders meeting, uh, Life Journal, Deuteronomy chapter 8, where God led the children of Israel into the de- desert to teach them to same, teach them some things so that they know that he would provide for them and care for them. And so Jesus would say, there are going to be times in your life that God's going to lead you. You're going to be spiritually dry, but you can be happy because God is doing something in your life in the midst of that. And there's going to be times that you're spiritually hungry. There's going to be times that, that you know what, you're going to need to show mercy to some people that are around you. If you see their needs, if you see what they're going to go through, there's going to be times in life that you're going to be the peacemaker. And you may have to be a peacemaker in a family, in a marriage, in relationships, at school, or at the office, and there's going to be some times you're going to go through that. There's going to be some times in your life where people are going to persecute you and revile against you, but you can be happy because you know what, 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 what God says about you and who you are in Christ and what God is doing. Oh, and there's going to be some times that you're going to mourn, but you can be happy. Pastor Jack Hayford, you may not know that name, uh, Jack Hayford has, has written a lot of Christian books and a lot of Christian songs, and, and his wife Anna, on March the 8th at 3 a.m., and I'll tell you why I can remember this so vividly, uh, Anna passed away. It was a year ago that Anna, uh, his wife, was diagnosed with pancre- pancreatic cancer, and so uh, for a year she's fought the battle, and then, then March the 8th, at, th- at, at 3 a.m., actually a little bit before 3 a.m., Jack Hayford, they'd been married over 60 years, he says God just woke him and says, go to Anna's side. And so Jack got up and shuffled his way into Anna's room, and he sat by her side, and he says, I, I, I got to watch my wife take her, take her last breath. And God loved me enough to make sure I was there. And he said in that moment, he said it's kind of interesting, but he said I cried and I laughed at the same time. I cried because I would miss her. And I laughed because I knew she was in God's presence. Happiness is not tied to circumstances. Man, when you understand happiness, I mean, fact is, God doesn't even see categories of people here. He, he, he knows just where you are. He knows exactly what you need. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles, and he cares about you. And the way that we meet those needs, or he meets those needs, is through people. Man, I, I wonder what God would do with a church that would see people the way he sees people. Jesus did not have a problem drawing a crowd. He had a problem getting away from a crowd. Because he met needs. The second thing is this about Jesus. Jesus had a reaching plan for people. Jesus had a reaching plan for people. In other words, out of Jesus' vision uh, came, came a plan. 
The, the vision always comes first, and, and then you make a plan. Verse 1, again, it says, Seeing the crowd, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And all of a sudden, we, we, get, a, we get a glimpse of his plan, and, and the plan was developed out of the needs of the community, out of the needs of his followers. It's, it's always dangerous when we develop a plan without a vision, and Jesus developed a vision first. And all of a sudden, he realized that thousands of people were following him, and his plans came out of that, and he wondered how he could, how he could, how he could accommodate them. And so he takes them up to a mountain as a natural amphitheater where they could see him and where they could hear him. And then he began breaking that crowd down into small groups, into what we would call life groups. He began de developing life group leaders and, and ministry partners and ministry leaders and people that could see the needs of others and begin to meet those needs and encourage them and minister to them and help them because life change happens best in relationships and that God uses and can use and desires to use each one of us to meet the needs of others. And so let me ask you, Whose needs are you meeting? Whose needs are you meeting within this community, within your family? Do you see people the way that Jesus Christ sees people? The third thing is this, is, is, is Jesus had a, had a true desire to meet the needs of people. Jesus had a true desire to just meet the needs of people. Verse 1, again, he said, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and, where, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. A rabbi in their day would teach uh, a couple of different ways. And, and one way that they would teach, they would teach just, they would teach just strolling around. And in fact, is a rabbi was known by how many followers they had following. But, but when a rabbi wanted to teach something and says, don't miss this, he would sit down. In other words, it is a picture that you, you, have my, you have my undivided attention. You don't have to fight through social media. You don't have to fight through any interruptions. You have my undivided attention. And so you see that in Jesus' life. In fact, as Paul put it, Paul put it this way in Galatians 6, 2. He says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you, you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. In other words, you're not getting real with yourself. You are not that important. In other words, you know what he's saying? He said it's an issue of pride that we don't help people. It's an issue of pride that we don't meet each other's needs. It's an issue of pride that where we think, we think our, our hopes, our dreams, our priorities are much higher than anybody else. And Paul's saying you've got to get real with yourself. You've got to see this for what it is. If you, listen, none of us are too busy or too important to minister to someone else or to help someone else. Psalm 37, 4 says this, says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the, the desires of your heart. In other words, that, that, that he would say it, it first starts with an authentic relationship with God. And that if you'll have an authentic relationship with God and trust him, fact is, that's best life verse is Psalm 37, 4. God, I just, I just want to keep company with you in any circumstance, in any situation. And my life is... My life is in your hands. The last thing is this, is Jesus was able to speak the truth in love. Jesus was able to speak the truth in love. Verse 2, he says, he says, see in the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus gives them the preamble of kingdom living. How to have an authentic life or an authentic happiness, even in difficult times. Through this series, we are, we're going to get real about some of the challenges. We're going to get real about some of the, the circumstances and the situations that we walk through in life. 
And we're not going to make light of those circumstances. We're not going to make light of how hard it really is. But we're going to help you to understand what it means to have an authentic relationship with him. This happiness that, that the, world, the world can't touch. The world can't do anything with. You know, Time Magazine ended their article with, with they looked at optimistic people and half glass half empty people and glass half full people and they couldn't make any correlation and you know what Jesus would say Jesus says it, the focus shouldn't be whether you see the glass half empty or half half full the focus should be what are you going to do with the glass he has given you the focus should be on the glass and what are you going to do with the life he's given you the time the talent and treasure 